Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby, where we hope to be informative and entertaining and help you keep your modeling mojo alive. This is your host, Mike. Dave and I thank you for dropping in again for a listen and to see what's been going on in our little corner of the scale modeling world. The holidays are right around the corner, so we're looking forward to some time off work and hope that your, as well as our modeling mojo, perseveres through all the pending festivities and commitments. We'll continue doing our part by sending you all along right now for episode 25 of Plastic Model Mojo. How you doing, Dave? It's that time again. Yeah, it is. I'm doing fine. How about yourself? Ah, not bad, not bad. Uh, been a busy week. I haven't got as much bench time as I'd like, but uh, I did get some in. We'll get to that, though. What's going on in your model sphere? Uh, well, uh, actually, uh, mojo is high. Uh, normally, this time of year, uh, in a normal year, and nothing about 2020 has been normal, my modeling really tapers off once November hits, and then usually come Thanksgiving, I don't see the bench again until the new year. But uh, this year, thanks to you, your mojo, and thanks to the to the listeners and all their inputs on the on the page, uh, my mojo has stayed high, and uh, things are moving along. And uh, I've get more fired up every time. So doing pretty good. So, Mike, what's going on in your model sphere? Well, I've been doing a lot of project planning because I think. Uh... I'm probably going to get at least one more off the bench before the end of the year. All right. I, ho- I hope. And uh, I've, I've found a a scratch project I'm considering, and I've been conversing with the gentleman Hungary about this project. It's going a little slow because uh, he he's, I, I gather he's probably around our age, if not a little older. And I think people from Eastern Europe who learned their language skills uh, before the wall fell, their second language is usually Russian, not English, a, a lot of times. Yeah. And uh, he is not an English speaker, and I'm certainly not a Hungarian speaker, but uh, a little ping pong match in Google Translate, and we're, we're managing to get, get through it. So uh, I'm, I'm talking to somebody halfway across the world about a, a modeling topic, so it's kind of fun. That's Hey, listen, again, the golden age of modeling doesn't apply just to all the models, kits, and accessories. Uh, the internet has been a fantastic development for modelers. So, uh, Mike, uh, what modeling fluid are you drinking tonight? Well, I've come back to the bullet. <laughs> like an old friend. <laughs> like an old friend after the Basil Haydens, and then after the uh, Walcott. I wouldn't call it a debacle, but uh, it certainly wasn't my favorite. But now I've come back home, and I'll I'll enjoy that a while, and uh, we'll venture off again. So I think I'm probably going to pick up another bottle of that uh, Old Forester 1920 for the colder months. Bourbon is a great drink for the cold weather, man. What do you got going on tonight? Well, I'm drinking another brew from Cigar City Brewing out of Tampa, Florida. This one's called Florida Cracker. Uh, it's a... <laughs> Belgian-style white ale uh, with coriander and orange peel. 
Now, I like white ales. I like beers with orange flavors to them or orange notes to them. So, oh yeah, this one's good. I can tell first pop out. This one's uh this one's good beer. It doesn't taste like it's a particularly strong alcohol content. I'm betting this is somewhere between 4.8 and 6 at the most, but it's a fine sip. Uh, I definitely will get me through the episode. Well, I'll have to maybe try that. I've typically I'm not a, a Belgian fan. Uh, I like the Belgians. Well, we've sure got another big pile of listener mail. All right. I'm glad to hear that. Up first is uh, Leo Posner, and I don't have a geography for him, but he says he loves the podcast. Keep up the great work and continue to inspire us. Quick question. You do a nice review each show of new releases, tools, etc. What are your go-to sites for updates? And then P.S. I'm an airplane, one one forty fourth guy. And also just need to buy more Ikea shelves when needed. <laughs> when I'm not building them, I'm flying them. Well, for for me, go-to sites for me are typically, I hit the modeling news every day, though they're usually, they're usually just like grabbing a high point every day. They don't have a, a real comprehensive new release, typically. Yeah. Uh, the aggregate probably is over, you know, a month or two, but uh, you don't get it all at once, I guess is what I'm saying. And then Scalemates, their new new product section on their on the homepage is, is usually pretty good. That's kind of my my two big ones. Yeah. Uh, now scale for me, number one go to is Scalemates, uh, the new releases. Um, it, it's awfully comprehensive. If you just want to see what's come out in the last day or the last week, that's definitely the place to go. Now, if you don't filter it and you see everything, you can see everything. But boy, there's a lot of stuff that you know you may not be interested in. But the beautiful thing about Scalemates is you can filter it by scale or by subject type or or any of those things. And you know, just new kits or just new decals or just new photo etch. So you can, using the little filter uh, boxes, you can actually get that list down to just what you're interested in. As far as, I always go and look at 70 Second Scale Aircraft News, uh, which has uh, a real, if, if there's something that's come out in 72nd scale aircraft. It's on there and it's usually on there pretty timely. Lots of pictures, lots of pictures of sprues and, and box art. And, uh, you know, uh, they keep track of what new manufacturers are announcing they're going to release. So that for me, because that's my main area of interest. Uh, that is one that I visit every day. But, uh, you know, it, I guess a little bit depends on what your particular area of interest. I guarantee you there's a site somewhere that has just one one forty fourth scale stuff. But, uh, you know, you can go to Scalemates, filter by one one forty fourth scale, and you'll get a listing of everything in the scale that's coming out as pretty much as it's announced. Next up is uh, Andrew Armstrong, and this one hits right there where we're in our discussion with episode 24 on fear and self-loathing and modeling. Uh, in fact, I'll, I'll make a brief comment. 
that episode was surprisingly popular and they're not going to appear in, in the listener mail, but we, we got a lot of like one liner kind of short takes on how a lot of people connected with that. So that was, that was good to hear. That is good. But back to Andrew, I just want to tell you how much I enjoyed the last episode. It was very relevant to me. So that's kind of what I was talking about. Yeah. A few years, few years ago, my brother got me a trumpeter, one 350th scale USS Iwo Jima. I was on the ship back when I was in the Marine Corps. I really appreciated the thoughtfulness thoughtfulness of the, of his gift. I just got back into modeling, was overwhelmed by the detail and complexity of the kit. I looked online and was then overwhelmed by all the new <laughs> techniques I'd never heard of. My, my thought was to do a few easier kits to get better. And while I know I've improved my skills, I still can't get myself to dig into the ship. I just finished uh, the 172nd Edward Hellcat that he says he's very proud of, although he agonized over doing the engine exhaust uh, stains on the side because he's afraid he'd mess it up. Oh, yeah. Uh, but after a couple of tries, he got he got to a good spot and was happy with the result and felt like he'd learned something. Uh, currently, he says he's working on Airfix Hurricane, but once that one's done, uh, he's going to get to work on the Iwo Jima because every time his brother asks about it, he's comes out, comes away feeling bad <laughs> by telling <laughs> him he's not working on it Yeah, because he, he wants to do it justice. And, uh, I can fully understand that. Um, Andrew, my first thought was, uh, to just pick up a second Iwo Jima kit. And That's then exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> have at it, but, but, but then I saw the price of that kit and all I can say is, uh, that was probably not the best idea. <laughs> Uh, suggesting you buy another one and your brother is very generous. (laughs) I I will say that you have the right idea as it seems you have a quote, a plan to get better. Yeah. As we, we mentioned last episode. Yeah. What do you think? I agree. Uh, uh, My first thought was exactly go out and buy another one, but uh, yeah, I can understand those three fifty scale ship kits, particularly the, the hell, the carriers and the helicopter carriers can be, uh, not cheap. Uh, Trumpeter isn't known to price those things cheap, but uh, yeah. Again, the worst thing that can happen is he, he would have to go out and buy another one, but uh, you know, as long as he's building and as long as he's making progress and get, getting happier with what he's learning as he's modeling, then you know, uh, I think that's a plan to get better, but don't put it off too long. We're we're on this earth a, a specific period of time that we don't know, and you know, you would love to to have that done that you and your brother can share some time over it and some joy over it. Uh, so don't let it go too long. Tim Cavalier's back, and Tim suggests a joint build between us. Uh oh. Uh, it's one of these uh, T-34 chassis with the twin MiG f- jet engines on top. I think it's a <laughs> firefighting vehicle. Yeah, well, they, I think it was used for for firefighting, for snow clearing, and then I think they yeah. also used it to put out oil well fires. I remember that during the first Gulf War. Yeah, you you could drive it up to an oil well fire. Hey, you know, I know you've probably seen the the John Wayne movie. Uh, the normal way of putting out an oil well fire was to take dynamite boxes of it, wrap it in asbestos, keep it wet, stick it into the fire, and then set it off to rob it of oxygen and put it out. Well, the the jet engine on the back of the tank 
you go up to it, you turn it on, you crank it up full bore, and it blows so hard that it blows the fire out. Like a big giant birthday candle. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, I don't know, man. If I had to pick something I'd be less likely to finish than a group build, it would be a, a committee build. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, not only that, but, uh, you know, as far as I know, there is no kit of that. And there are references out there. But I also don't think that any any two of the things are the same. You know, I've seen bunches of variations of it, but I'm not sure if any two of them were, were the same. So I'm not sure it was ever actually manufactured as a specific item rather than a, a, an adaption that, that they did. Next is uh, Raz Nelson, and he's enjoying the show, except it sometimes makes him want to walk off the job and go home to model. Man, I hear you, brother. <laughs> it sounds like he's been listening to our text back and forth during the day sometimes, right? <laughs> I think I think so. Uh, currently, he's working on the uh, Iron Maiden Spitfire in thirty second scale by Ravel. So I, I really want to see that. That's uh, yes. It's kind of Ravel's answer to the uh, the to Motorhead HE one eleven. Yeah, the Airfix Motorhead. Airfix, yes. Yeah, <laughs> which is just cool as all heck. Raz says we need a new tool in seventy second and or forty eighth scale. A uh, new ferry battle. Yes, he is absolutely correct. I, in fact, I had thought for sure that Airfix, Airfix's announcement this year for their 72nd scale aircraft was going to be a battle. And I, I still think it's got to be coming soon, uh, especially since Airfix has had such a good year this year. Uh, as Mike and I discussed on a previous episode, you know, COVID's been a, a awful thing for everybody, but the one silver lining has been that model manufacturers and model shops and all have been doing a land office business. And I think that Airfix has been profitable enough that hopefully they plow some of that back in and, and continue their release, maybe even uh, increase their release schedule. Will Fuse goes back again. He's thanking us for the book recommendations. He's he's the I think he's the expat in Japan and yeah. was looking for some uh, Panzer Tracks type books about Soviet vehicles. And he's hot to get the Military Chronicles SU eighty five edition that I recommended. So if anybody out there knows a good source for that book, uh, let us know. We'll help him get connected with that because I've got that book and it's that's probably one of the better ones actually. He'll like that once he gets his hands on it. An SU SU eighty fives are cool. Tony Jacobs with us again out of Australia, and he's got some sage wisdom. Fantastic episode talking about Mojo Blocks. Loving your shout outs, short segment. And he says, uh, Dave, that's you, Dave. My mm -hmm. version of your what's your plan to get better quote is something that's changed my outlook a, lo a lot, uh, including modeling. His version is progress, not perfection. That's a good one. Yep, I'm the type to beat myself up over not meeting my own expectations on the hobby bench. When I focus on progress, I enjoy the journey instead of stressing about the destination. That's a great attitude. It's one I've fallen into of sorts. Not completely, but a lot better than I used to be. And it's certainly, uh, certainly keeping my mojo alive. Yeah. When was the last time you finished three models in a year? I've never finished three. Yeah, when I was like seven, eight, <laughs> okay. 12, something like that. <laughs> 
All right. Uh, with listener mail, please drop us a note for your comments, suggestions, or, or even critiques. You can email those to plasticmodelmojo at gmail.com or Facebook Messenger from the Plastic Model Mojo Facebook page. Please tell us where you're from. We want to know. We like to we like that little bit of information. And a lot of these this time, coincidentally, did not tell us where they were from. So we'd appreciate it if you do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, now that we're done with listener mail, if you guys would take a minute when you're done listening to this podcast and please take a few moments to rate us on whatever podcast listening app you're using, uh, please give us five stars if you would. It'll help us in the ratings and it'll help make our uh, podcast more visible. We've had a lot of luck with that in the last few episodes. Uh, we're becoming more and more visible and getting more and more listeners. And uh, we appreciate the fact that a lot of that is, or most of that is due to you all. And tell a friend, if uh, a modeling friend, if they're not listening to the podcast, they don't listen to podcasts at all, try and recommend it to them. Maybe send them a link, get them to listen. Hopefully they'll enjoy it. Speaking of friends, we've got our fellow podcast to uh, plug here a little bit. Scale Model Podcast is up to episode 59, and they've got uh, Katie back for a third interview segment because uh, I guess Anthony failed to realize or she didn't tell him that she had worked on some of the Star Wars movies, uh, which is really interesting. So more great convo with Katie about her work on Star Wars. And uh, Stu is back in the saddle again this episode. Good. And we're glad to hear your wife's on the men, Stu. So hopefully that'll be behind you soon. Great. On the Bench is up to episode 97. Uh, they run through the Golden Sprue Awards, which closed out here recently. So the 2020 GSAs are in the book. So tune in to the, On the Bench to get a rundown of those. Or you could visit the Golden Sprue Awards website. Uh, the guys on On the Bench are talking about modeling versus collecting. And it's kind of a funny conversation. Julian gets a little bit animated. It's a real hot topic for him, apparently. Uh, and they're out of lockdown. So congratulations to them on that. And hopefully it'll stick this time. Finally, Plastic Posse Podcast, Episode 7. Uh, they're talking about all the things that uh, inspire them. So listen to the Posse, totally nerd out on pop culture, books, and film, and how that inspires their efforts as modelers. Uh, listen to the last episode on the bench, and they went uh, uh, through all the Golden Sprue Award winners, and that was really interesting to listen to. I was, I wasn't really shocked by many of the the winners, but uh, uh, I w it's interesting to hear what the modeling community found uh, interesting and motivating and really good over the last year or so. So, we both got a hard favorite in there. Yes, that's true. Absolutely. In fact, in fact, mine was the overall winner, uh, the uh, Arma FM two man. Yes, and uh, the T thirty four for Mini Art was was my my vote, my pick for uh, best AFE. Yeah, yeah. See, we've got our pulse, our fingers on the pulse of the modeling community. I think so. <laughs> well. Uh, <laughs> While you're listening to us, if you're not a member of your national IPMS chapter, that's IPMS USA for those here in the United States, or IPMS Canada for those up in the Great White North, or wherever you are, if, you're, if your country has a national chapter of IPMS, please consider joining uh, or rejoining if you've let your membership lapse. Uh, they're good organizations. They do a lot for modelers. 
uh, almost always they have a publication that comes along as uh, part of your membership fee. And uh, it'd be really good if you would join and we could strengthen modeling overall. Countdown to Vegas. Dun, dun, dun. At the time of this recording, we are 275 days away from the 2021 IPMS National Convention in glittery Las Vegas, Nevada. Oh, please. Oh, please. I was thinking, man, um, we should find somebody with a 57 Thunderbird for hire and cruise around like Robert Ulrich. <laughs> Spencer for hire. Nah, Vegas. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I remember that show now. Bob says that trophy sales continue at a good clip, but says they're still asking support from the modeling community. And he goes on to say, for $85, your name will be immortalized forever on the wall of a perfect stranger. And that's hard to beat. <laughs> that's a good sales pitch. That is. Uh, those interested should go to www.natslv2021.com slash trophy hyphen sponsor. And we'll put that up again on the uh, Facebook page. And in the show notes. And once you get there, just follow the instructions. You'll find a PDF that can be open to see what categories are still available. And they take checks, credit cards, and PayPal. Fantastic. Can't wait. Other news. There are over 2,850 room nights sold. And the vendor room is now 85% booked. Where they're struggling a little bit right now is, is, the, is the tours. Uh, the Shelby tour is locked down, but the other tour sites that fall into the jurisdiction of the various government agencies, such as Nellis Air Force Base and the Atomic Test Site, uh, remain tentative because a lot of those folks aren't at work who, yeah. who control those kind of things. And they just don't know yet. and They're not going to make a commitment. Sure. If these cannot be firmed up by the start of pre-registration in February... The show committee is, says they're going to go to a first-come, first-call list, and in the event those tours do come available, they'll start going down those lists to book them. So if you're interested, get your name on a list. Sounds fantastic. So, uh, Mike, uh, what's happened on your model bench in the last two weeks? Well, one thing that happened is I, I spilt a bottle of liquid cement, and I glued all three of my Tamiya tape, tape dispensers shut permanently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's you had me there. I thought you were going to tell me you spilled it all over the Zis too. No, uh, I was decanting some into something else, and uh, I don't know. You know, you, you never know how it happens, but it but it does. <laughs> well, you don't feel too bad because, uh, as you know, saw from the Facebook page, I managed to slice my finger open uh, while modeling the last two weeks. <laughs> well, we've all done that. But yeah. back to the positive things on the bench. Uh, the Zis 2 57mm anti-tank gun for mini art I'm doing is uh, back on the bench. And the pin washing has started, and I'm about 50% of the way finished with that phase of the weathering. This gets to a good point here. Uh, I had to go back and satin coat the thing again because I failed to remember because I lost my place because it was it was in the cupboard for a couple of months. Have you as as you've been uh, goading me about? And I, I lost my place, so I, I think I need to take notes when I put something away for a while. Yeah, I've come to that same problem. I th I think that I may get myself little notebooks and make notes on projects. Cause man, if I walk away from a project for any period of time, part of the problem is coming back to it going, where the heck was I? Well, I misted this thing with some, uh, green paint, a lighter shade to do some highlights. And I, I never went back and, and 
sat and finished it again. So I, I started putting the wash on it and you touch the brush. And the next thing you know, the spot was like the size of a quarter. <laughs> it's just wicking out through the flat, the matte sure. paint. So no, no control at all. So I, I've got that under, under control now. I, I went back and this time I mixed about 50, 50 to me, a clear with to me, a satin. And I really like the kind of the, the level of gloss I got on. It's not too much, but it's, it's, it's enough to, to mute the uh, activity of the wash. Moving on to the E16, Paul, it has wings now, as you've seen. Yeah. So that's probably the first wings I've glued on a model in 35 years. So wish me luck going forward on that. Um, it, it brings joy to my heart. One thing worth mentioning is it's, it's kind of, it's kind of become a, a little bit of a paradox because the, the cockpit and all that was kind of all about detail. And now where I've made the fuselage to the wings, it's all about shape and airfoil and getting all the seams out of it and getting everything smooth. So it's kind of a, a different kind of twist on the skill set. So yeah, yep, absolutely. Got a, got a few more things to learn. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm happy to see it. Other than that, mostly some project planning, which when I say project planning, it's not me sitting back surfing the internet necessarily. I've actually got some drawings taped down to the workbench and uh, sizing up a few things and uh, trying to figure out what I might go for here next. In regard to that Hungarian project, does it appear like there's going to be enough information for you to be able to construct a, a, a model or scratch build a model? Well, let's back up. We've not told anyone what it is yet. Oh, I wasn't going to. I just said a Hungarian project. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll we'll spill the beans. It's a it's a a Hungarian four by six truck that was used by the Royal Royal Hungarian Army during the Second World War. Uh, it was made by the uh, Reba Automotive Company, and it's the Reba Botan. And it's a it's a small four by six truck, a little bigger than like a, a Krupp boxer that a lot of the uh, armor modelers will be familiar with. Uh, it's just a really unique uh, and a very capable off-road truck. And it's, 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 it's really unique. And, and the issue is there are no scale drawings known for this vehicle. Uh, there's some chassis drawings, but nothing that shows the entire car body. And I think it's highly unlikely that a kit is going to materialize for this thing in 35th scale. Famous last words, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, only when you get 95% of the way through your scratch, right? Yeah, probably. Um, <laughs> if anybody out there can prove me wrong, more power to you. Send it my way. Uh, but uh, this Hungarian I've, I talked to in the opening segment uh, is it actually an RC modeler. And he built this truck in 1 16th scale. And it's really, really phenomenal because all the differentials work. The entire transmission works like the real transmission on a truck would. It's not like faked with engines straight to the axles that you can't see. Uh, and all the articulation he's modeled into this, this guy is an incredibly skilled machinist. And he has a lot of information. And we'll see. I don't know if there's enough information yet or not. I'm leaning toward yes, because with a good, uh, a good side view, even a good level view, three-quarter view, as long as the vertical element is fairly vertical, uh, you can start to establish some other dimensions using some using some uh, ratio and proportion. Uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll have to see what happens. I, I'm not committed to this project by any means. And I take it that there is no book on the subject or magazine article or 
anything like that out there, at least that you're aware of? I, I found a Hungarian magazine that's got a few pictures and a, and a write up about one of the, you know the vehicle in general, and it has about four pictures and, and these drawings, these chassis drawings that are all over the internet that I can find are in this article. So I suspect that's where they came from. Uh, there, there is no scale modeling article that I've seen anywhere. So I, I don't know. It's a, it's, it's an interesting, interesting project. And, and as you and I were talking about this, as you were, as you were discovering this guy who built the, this RC, uh, I had asked you that was this based on another vehicle that you could use for a conversion, and you said no. This is utterly and completely unique. That there's not another kit you could base it off of. No, it's it's an incredibly unique vehicle. Uh, it has like trench roller wheels on the front bumper, between the the front steerable wheels, and then the. The, uh, the the second and third axle on this truck, there's what appear to be spare wheels mounted on either side of the cab. But not only are they spare wheels, they're on a gimbaled and bearinged axle instead of just being mounted to the side of the truck. So they're actually, they, they help prevent bellying the thing out. So they're actually functional in that position as, as spare wheels, but as keeping, keeping the thing from slipping over high ground and, and touching ground between the wheels is hmm. what they're for. Um, a really, a really unique truck, and and apparently was a very capable vehicle. Probably one of the better trucks in that class of any nation during the war. But there's like one left, and it's kind of a little bit of a cobble job, so you got to be careful. But lots of photographs, so we'll see. Enough about that. What about you? Well, uh, this is the point where you insert uh, the trumpet voluntary music uh, because another model has left my bench. The uh, Special Navy Bibber uh, moved into the completed column, and I've got a, I posted a few hasty shots, and I need to to go back when I get get a minute and take some some uh, studio style photos. But uh, uh, that made a little bit of space on my bench, and uh, what happened was the AS one, which had been sitting for months, I bet you you could go back to episode 10 or 12 was the last time, uh, well, maybe a little later than that, that I'd made real progress on it because I'd had a mental block about it uh, going forward. Uh, It's the first bare metal, completely bare metal model or aircraft model I've ever done or ever done since I got back to modeling. I kind of had a mental block about it, but uh, uh, with you completing the Airfix uh, Bofors and uh, Jim moving a couple of models into the finish column and all of the listeners out there posting on uh, our page, it it got me fired up. I, it got me to get over that hump of, you know, what are you going to do to get better? If this is the first bare metal aircraft, there are plenty of bare metal aircraft that I want to do. I like Russian aircraft and a lot of the Russian aircraft, particularly the 50s and 60s, are bare metal finishes. So, you know, the thing was, what's my plan to get better? If I'm letting this stop me because I'm I'm intimidated by it, afraid of it, whatever, uh, you know, how am I ever going to get better to do all those other things that I want to do? So I dove back in, got it moving, and it's very close to being finished. And it's not perfect. You got to, you know, you got to accept 
it's it's not perfect. It's just moving toward being finished, and I'll have learned a lot that I can apply toward the next bare metal finish uh, I do, which I've already got kind of in the in the works. The M30 has uh, it's almost completely done with the assembly. Uh, I've kind of stopped there for a moment while I'm finishing up the AS1, but the AS1 should move off the bench in the next 14 days. And once it does, then the the M30 and the Mosquito will go back to getting my full attention. And uh, like you, I've been planning my next build. Of course, mine is nothing so elaborate. But uh, all in all, my mojo's high, and I'm really pleased about that. So, uh, Mike, uh, have you been looking out into the into the modeling world and seen interesting things? Yes, I have. I've seen several things, and I'll start off with my first one here. Uh, it's it's another mini art kit, actually. I've kind of ranted on and off about kits with full interior, but here's finally one that. I kind of see might be interesting to give it a little bit more thought. MiniArt has got a mid-production boxing of their M3 Lee kit. Takamari makes this model with no interior, mm-hmm. but but with the, with the big swing doors on this thing, it might lend itself to an interior. So I'm going to consider this one. I've always had operation uh, interest in uh, Operation Torch when when the U.S. got to yeah. North Africa and the mauling they took at Kazarine Pass at the hands of Rommel and yeah. what was left of the Africa Corps by then. It's just really, really interesting. And, you know, these these are the ones with the yellow turret bands and the yellow stars. Just uh, probably my favorite rendition of the M3. First, that would be the one I, I'm kind of kind of interested in. What about, what's your first one? Well, by the way, when if when it comes time to build that one, you need to pop Humphrey Bogart and Sahara into the, into the DVD player. Uh, or stream it. I'm sure it's available somewhere because uh, I think that's an M3 Lee or uh, Grant in that one. And you can claim you're doing reference research while you watch it. Well, my first one is TACOM has, as you know, previously announced a, Yam- a Yamato turret in 72nd scale which, frankly, I, I just, it's one of those things that as soon as I saw it, it was like I didn't know I needed that in my life, but I need that in my life. Well, they followed up. Now they've announced one of the uh, turrets from the Bismarck. Uh, same thing, turret and, and the pedestal that it sat on and maybe a little bit of, of deck area around as part of the base. And again, uh, I didn't know I needed it. As soon as I saw it announced, I'm like, oh, heck yes, I want to see, I want that. I want to. I want to do that. So uh, that one really tickled my fancy. So what's another one that you saw? Well, it's kind of a double, and this is interesting because they're Tiger Ones. There's not a single Tiger One kit in my stash, despite how popular that subject is. There's just not one. Uh, Border models, and I think Ryfields both have versions of Tiger Ones coming out that are really, really comprehensive for what uh, for the particular vintage of tiger they're supposed to supposed to represent so uh might be time to add a tiger to the stash i'm really leaning toward the border models one which one is the border models one it's kind of a it's an early one that's that has the uh the air cleaners on it and the in the drum cupola and this you know the solid steel well 
the dish steel wheels with rubber tires. It's marked. The box art is one from, uh, I think it's a gross Deutschland vehicle from the curse campaign, uh, operation Citadel, but, uh, I have to look into it a little more, but looks like a really, really super kit. And I might be time to add a tiger, tiger to the stash. <laughs> well, on that, in that same vein, it's funny you mentioned the tiger not having one. Special Hobby has announced a new series of 72nd scale uh, ME109Es. And they say they are with or, or in conjunction with Edward. Now, this is unclear whether this means that Edward, who previously announced that they were going to do some 109s in 72nd scale, uh, whether they've passed the job off to Special Hobby, whether this is a pure collaboration, and if so, how. It's unclear, but they've announced several different versions of the 109E, as well as a 109T, which was the 109E with the long wings that was designed for the German carrier Graf Zeppelin. I'm not a huge 109 fan. I've built a couple, uh, one in Italian markings and one in Romanian markings, but I'm not the world's biggest 109 fan. But one of the features that this kit is going to have is separate leading edge slats for the wing, which was an interesting feature of the 109 is they had spring-loaded slats on the front of the wings. And I don't think there's been a previous kit in 72nd scale that molded those separately. They always molded them as part of the wing in the closed position, uh, whereas a lot of times on the ground, the aircraft had those in the open position. So the CAD renderings look really interesting. Um, I definitely am interested in knowing more about the kit. Well, my next one's a yawn, Uh-oh. tentatively. More of a potential crap. Why, could, why didn't somebody better do it? Arc Models has announced the T-3485 model 1943, which is the version of the 85 millimeter gun tank I really want to build the most. Arc Models is one of those lesser known Eastern European countries. They're either Russian or 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 Ukraine, Ukrainian. I'm not mm-hmm. sure which. And they they inherited a lot of uh, some. I've seen their names on like the Eastern Express kits and maybe the ICM early ones. I can't remember. And RPM as well. Yeah. So R- RPM did a boxing of this version that had their the maquette T-34 hull in it and a resin turret. So I wonder if just the turret's retooled and I wonder how how good it is. So the verdict is still out and I kind of hope Mini Art beats them to the punch. Well, I, I hope for your sake that they do. Well, my last one is not a yawn. It is one that I've mentioned before. Uh, DOS Work has announced a U-9 in 72nd scale. That's a World War I submarine. And as soon as I saw it, this was another one of those things like, I know I need this. Uh, I don't know. didn't know I did, but as soon as I saw it, I knew I wanted to build it. Well, uh, a couple of distributors have gotten early test shots of the model. Uh, most notably uh, Andy's Hobby Headquarter. And they did a YouTube unboxing of the kit where you got to see all the parts and, and what was what was uh, in it. And then they did a follow-up where they did a build of the test shot that they had gotten. And 
There is nothing in, in either of those YouTube videos that would dissuade me at all from going out and getting that kit. In fact, uh, I'm more impressed having seen them, and uh, I can't wait for it to get, to come out. So that's definitely not a yawn for me. Our special segment tonight is, turns out, the hobby's not dead after all. Well, that's good news. Yeah, I think so. It's still alive and kicking. So we received it. Well, originally I thought we were going to maybe break out the feedback as a as a bonus episode, but the longer I let it go, the more email I got, even a couple of episodes after we would uh, had solicited input about this. So I think we're just going to run with it as, as our special segment tonight and, and wrap it up and not have to do the bonus episode. Sounds good. The first question to ask in this, on this topic is, is kind of why do people in the modeling community perennially think that this is going on? Why the hobby is dying uh, when it's clearly not, at least not in the present day. And yeah, we got a really we got a really thoughtful and lengthy response from our listener Stephen Lee, and I'm going to start with his. And what he's got to say is is kind of certainly true in the present day. Probably has been true since the mid '80s or so, and it's definitely true since the dawn of the internet. His first point is the demise of the local hobby shop, and he says that this is not necessarily a sense uh, an indicator that the hobby's dying, but it's it's a it's a an early indicator of the fact that small retail has been dying for the last 20 years. I agree completely. Try to find a sporting goods store or an independent camera shop or a bookstore. They're all suffering the same fate. He says local hobby shops were a huge formative modeling experience for him. He says, and probably for us. So their disappearance is disconcerting, but not necessarily the end of the hobby. So what do you think about that? I think that's absolutely correct. You know, I, and that's, I had not thought of it that way, but clearly the fact that that local hobby shops are going away creates the impression that the hobby is dying. Meanwhile, there's more model companies releasing more kits than ever, and we've got a wider selection. But yeah, it's not that the hobby's dying, it's that brick-and-mortar retail, particularly uh, small independent brick and mortar retail is facing bigger and bigger challenges, mostly brought on by the internet. Wouldn't you think? I think so. And, and especially things that rely on folks' disposable income. Yeah. Boutique type places, which a hobby shop certainly is. His second point is the shift of in the hobby media landscape. And this one's kind of interesting. Uh, well, he says the shift in the hobby landscape probably looks from some perspective, less like a sh shift and more like the demise of the old school hobby media. And it kind of is. Uh, I'd talked to Stephen earlier about, uh, you know, the American magazines and their current status. There's certainly been less competition among them. There's fewer than there were. Most of the American based magazines other than fine scale modeler. And then of course the society magazine from IPMS are just about gone in North America. Anyway, for example, there's no American-based magazines and online media. First, the bulletin boards and forums, then YouTube and Facebook. And he says, nay, even podcasts have displaced magazines as the prime modeling media. For modelers of a certain age and disposition who are not tuned into online life, this might look more like the death of the hobby. I think that's correct. Although overall, what one of the things that's been amazing to me since the 1990s was the explosion in modeling magazines. It used to be that... You know, back in the 80s, we had scale aircraft modeling. Uh, you might have scale models, uh, uh, scale modeler, 
fine scale comes along in 86, I think. And now in starting in like the mid nineties, there was an explosion. Now we've got scale aircraft modeling, scale aircraft modeling, international air modeler, like four or five others. I mean, Airfix magazine, uh, Military model, uh, modeler, international. It, it just, but when magazines got cheaper to produce, they actually seems to have brought on more modeling publications. But I don't think they're distributed as, as wise as widely with the with the local hobby shop dying. Uh, you know, you have to to find a bookstore that carries those magazines. And now Barnes & Noble, since they're about the only uh, brick-and-mortar bookstore, big chain bookstore left, uh, they carry a number of those titles. But if you don't have access to that, yeah, it suddenly seems that, you know, your the uh, modeling publications may have dried up in, in just as a, a a perspective from what you see rather than what's actually happened. True. And I, I think his comment is clearly America centric, which is, which is fine. Yeah. And I, I, in, in that context, it makes, it makes sense because fine scale is a lot different than it used to be. Yes. Especially after, after they went monthly or, or bi-monthly or whatever, what are they yeah. did there for a while? Yeah. Uh, and you know, the Karsten publications are gone and even the, even the later coming MMIR military models in review, yeah, uh, that one's gone now. So yeah, if your local hobby shop's gone where you used to pick these up and you're not tuned into the digital landscape, then it may, at least in North America or the United States in particular, that uh, things are going away because you may not be aware or have access to all those other publications. And and I think as a, as a rule in general, modeling skews older uh, as far as a hobby. Uh, you run across the occasional... 20-year-old wonder kid modeler, but uh, in general, you know, we're all in our 40s, 50s, and and beyond, and luckily, I'm young enough at 59 to have been in on the internet revolution and computers from pretty much the beginning, but the generation above me, the 60s and 70s-year-old guys, some of them adapted to, to technology quite well. But I think there's a whole cohort of of those folks who who didn't adapt to the new changing technologies, and those guys, I can see how their perspective might be that oh my gosh, the hobby's dying. His third point is the hobby has come has become less centered on English speaking cultures, and where 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 he's coming from with that, he's, he says the. Uh, the U.S. and the U.K. may have pioneered hobby manufacturing in the first few decades. Uh, but U.S. makers have faded away while China and Eastern Europe have emerged as creative centers for hobby manufacturing. And who would have thought Spain would become the center of hobby fin- of the hobby finishing industry? The incremental retreat and di- then disappearance of testers, Floquel, and Pactra brands embodies the d- decline of the U.S. hobby manufacturing and the ascendancy of the new inter- international hobby manufacturing. Again, modelers of a particular age and disposition, inter- internationalization of the hobby could be perceived as threatening or declining from from their perspective. It's interesting. Yeah, that is, and I think that's probably true. I, I you know, I knew e- even back in the eighties and early nineties, I knew and always heard tell of the fact that the modeling scene in Japan 
was very vibrant, but you never saw it. There was no internet, and Lord knows you didn't see uh, Japanese modelers flying over to the U.S. for contests or anything. So you didn't, you know, you heard tell of it, you know, secondhand, but uh, you you never really saw it. Now with the advent of the internet and uh, with the advent of model manufacturing moving internationally, you, you you now see that there is this huge hobby, not only in, in China and Japan, but Eastern Europe, Middle, Middle Eastern Europe, uh, you know, the Czech Republic, Slovakia, Poland have these really dynamic hobby, you know, hobby, the hobby is very dynamic in those areas. And so we're seeing a lot of not only companies coming out of there, but really talented modelers coming out of there, you know, and and you run into those folks occasionally in the magazines, but a lot of times on the forums or on Facebook, you know, uh, there are some modelers. There's a guy on 72nd scale forum, uh, his name's uh, Pe- uh, Petri, P-E-T-R-I, who is uh, from Finland. And I would have never had exposure to a Finnish modeler before. And this guy just does some of the most amazing work I've ever seen in my life. You know, it's one of those things that, that when you see it, you're like, yeah, the hobby's alive and well. And if you if you weren't attuned to that, you you wouldn't know it. Well, Stephen was so engrossed with this topic, <laughs> which I do appreciate, Stephen. Uh, he sent actually a, a follow-up email, like, gosh, three, two or three weeks after the first one. Um, again, more on the evergreen death of the hobby. And he goes into a lot of detail. It's more of this digital divide topic. Mm-hmm. His first point is distru- distrust of e-commerce in general, and eBay in particular. And he says, while I've heard the snide references to Evil Bay, in quotes, over the years, an older modeler recently corrected me for my net naivete about how cavalierly I use the very dangerous and crooked eBay. Other <laughs> e-commerce, particularly overseas-based sites, are viewed with sim- as similarly similarly risky. There is also a thought that e-commerce is single-handedly killing the hobby shops and thus the hobby. And somehow there's also resentment about the ripoffs of postage and handling as if driving to the local hobby shop does not cost gas, amateurized maintenance, and depreciation. <laughs> what do you think about e- e-commerce? <laughs> I, I think that's true. I, I, again, the, the older you are, the more hesitant you, you may be. And all it takes is, is one bad experience, you know, one bad transaction on eBay, one bad uh, experience and ordering something from, you know, Hong Kong or whatever, and having shipping take, uh, you know, three months rather than 10 days. Obviously, for me, and I, I suspect for almost all of our listeners, you know, who do order uh, overseas online with regularity, the, the, the ability to do that, you know, when I need that particular thing right now for the project I'm trying to finish, that ability to go and search worldwide for it. I I don't know if you remember, um, it was, Atlanta was 2005, so this would be 2006, I think, was Kansas City, the Nationals. And that is when Sprue Brothers really first rolled out as a, as a uh, internet model 
retailer or internet model site for for goods and services. And they had the real-time inventory tracking so that you could go on their site at any time and not only tell if they carried something, but if they had it in stock. And I remember what a revolution that was because one of the big frustrations of early internet modeling or model retailing was you would go to a site, you would they would list something as available, but you'd order and they didn't really have it in stock. They'd then order it from whoever manufactured it. And and you could be left waiting for months. Now, I mean, if I need something, I can go out and search the internet across the world and find out, you know, not only who has it, not only in the U.S., but worldwide if I need to. If I need that one particular piece uh, or one particular decal sheet, you know, 10 minutes and, and a, a credit card, and it's on the way. And that's that's one of the things that uh, convinces me as, as as to how vibrant our hobby is. Well, I agree. I mean, you can jump on and find anything, anytime. Just about, if you search around enough, you can find the price you want. And just about, COVID aside, anywhere in the world, if you're willing to wait about 10 or 12 days, usually less than two weeks. Yes. Uh, it can come from as far away as Australia or, or China. Well, and you know, if you keep that in perspective, we all complain about shipping and handling fees. But the fact that in 10 days to two weeks, you can have something from any point in the world Think about how revolutionary that is, that, you know, uh, you can order from a hobby shop in India and have it on your doorstep 10 days later. That's just freaking amazing. And it may be $14. Yeah. But for me to fly to India would be $1,400. Exactly. So, <laughs> so it's not, it's, postage can be expensive, but typically it's it's not, rarely is it a game changer for me. It, I agree. The only thing that happens to me is when I go to Hannett's because they have one thing that I want, you know, I'm always, there's that mindset, well, you know, I just don't want to buy this one thing and pay the shipping. So let's get three or four more things. And then the next thing you know, you spent about a hundred dollars to justify not spending too much in shipping. And your box is the size of an old fashioned television set. Luckily it hasn't gotten that bad yet. Uh, this one we've not experienced too much of in our own close hobby community around here, but uh, res resistance to using new technology for hobby socializing and particular for club activities. Uh, not naming names, but IPMS AMPS chapters are facing active, meaning uh, I, I object to the motion of having Zoom meetings and passive things like uh, unmuted microphones, cameras pointed to the tops of heads and ceiling lights. <laughs> I've already have enough apps and updates I don't need anymore. Resistance to the use of Zoom and other apps during the COVID lockdown. And notably, this is from the older, older crowd. I, I will say as our club's newsletter editor, I cannot tell you the level of resistance that I dealt with for quite literally years going to a digital newsletter. Uh, we had holdouts who still wanted their paper copy mailed to them. And not, not because these folks didn't have access to the internet. They were just resistant to 
not getting the, the quote unquote real thing that that was a pain in the butt forever. Uh, I can imagine that. I'm glad I was not editor after that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You'd be happy. Steven says he's heard quote, we're a modeling club, not a computer club. This will kill the hobby. If we go that this direction. <laughs> Now, I've got to say, if anything, the Zoom meetings during during COVID, I don't know about your experience, but my experience has been those Zoom meetings have been a lifesaver. I cannot imagine going through these COVID lockdowns and all where we haven't had interactions at contests or meetings or anything like that. I can easily see falling into a modeling funk or depression in, you know, because you're not interacting with other people on a regular basis. I mean, one of the things that gets gets your juices flowing is seeing other people's work and such. Yeah, not just a modeling funk, just a funk in general, really. Yeah, well, that's true, too, man. His his last one is really interesting. Disdain for podcasts. (laughs) I recently mentioned how much I enjoy plastic modeling podcasts among a group of mostly older again modelers and was met alternately by stony silence and derision. (laughs) The quote complicated technology is part of the story here. But then there was, I tried listening to podcasts and they suck. (laughs) Who do those guys think they are and why are they so special and why do I have to listen to them? (laughs) Well, well, Steven, I can tell you anybody with enough money to buy a microphone and only have to buy one if your computer doesn't have one already, can do a podcast. So I'm sure you realize it, but we're not special at all. Absolutely. (laughs) We're we're just two guys who did this, frankly, uh, as much of anything as we've said a number of times on the podcast, did it to keep our own mojo alive, to to, uh, keep ourselves accountable both to each other and then to the audience uh, at large as, as we've gone on. So, you know, that's the biggest, the biggest thing that, that I get out of this is the boost it gives to my hobby. I mean, I'm glad y'all are listening and I love the interaction, but it just, it gives me an internal mojo boost. He says the negativity can be exhausting and I fear that it might even repel new modelers and younger folk. It can even sap the mojo. Uh, completely agreed. In fact, uh, uh, before Mike and I started recording this, we were talking about uh, a modeler we know and uh, how they've gotten a little bit uh, crankier as they've gotten older. And let's face it, that's a that's a tendency that exists to a greater or lesser extent in everybody. And uh, you know, obviously, the COVID lockdowns haven't helped it, but uh, you got to you got to fight back against getting cranky and getting depressed and, and complaining just to complain. The fact that it's not dying, but actually changing, which we've talked a lot about why is, was a recurring theme through a lot of this response we got back from, from the listenership. And the next kind of more substantive reply we got, uh, I look now it's dated September 15th, which is probably right after that podcast dropped the Friday before that. So we've been collecting responses for a long time here. Anyway, this is from Brian Latour, who's from the the gang up in Ottawa. And based on that comment at the end of Lee's, Stephen Lee's email, I'm going to lead with with Brian's closing comment, actually, which, which reads, 
Ever notice how the people who are loudest to proclaim that it's the hobby is dying are doing the most to actively kill it? (laughs) (laughs) You know, there is more than a grain of truth in that. I had that, that's a, that's a real insight there. My, my, my compliments, uh, because I, I had not thought of that until you actually just read that. But you're right. The, the, the folks that do complain the loudest about this hobby is dying, etc., are the ones who are the most pessimistic overall and the most um, sour, for want of a better word. And, and yeah, that's true. It can become a self-fulfilling prophecy for those folks. Uh, he sums up kind of nicely kind of all the things that, that I think we're driving Stephen's responses. And he, he says that if we consider our defi- we need sh- we should consider our definition of the hobby before we, cons- we start talking about its impending doom. And if we look solely at traditional subjects like military and cars and sci-fi and ships and planes and solely in the North American market, we might get a different conclusion than if we take a broader view. And, you know, it's up until recently, it's been hard for us to know what's been going on in the Asian market and other, other parts of the world. Right. Yeah. So that, that makes sense. And I I think a lot of, you know, we're in North America, United States. And so a lot of what we're going to, we're getting is, is of course from United States and, and what those modelers, particularly the, the older, older among, among that crowd are, are seeing. But he says, consider this, the highest performing stock on the London Stock Exchange in the 2010s was a model company. It was not Airfix, but at Games Workshop. Bandai's sales are also huge, and painting figures and miniatures is attracting a lot of people. Just look at the uh, in- insanity that surrounds any uh, Reaper Bones Kickstarter. Now, Reaper Bones makes primarily like 28 millimeter uh, fantasy gaming figures, and they do yeah. a lot of Kickstarter stuff. And and apparently... I. I I take Brian's word for it, but I've also heard from other sources that those things kind of go nuts. So yeah, Reaper has made, made Kickstarter an art form really. Yeah. And he says he would argue that the hobby is not dying, but is going through some changes, but it's definitely divided, which is going to kind of segue into the next kind of line of thought here, which kind of deals with age. If we look at, the traditional again, and, and focus on those subjects, the age profile in the, in the, in the local clubs, uh, it's going to be a lot different than like the gunpla and, and sci-fi exclusive clubs that are that are coming coming along out there, and the folks who play Warhammer. Yeah. So he says the uh, the age profile, the traditional model show, is very different from from like the last figure show he went to. I believe that. Yeah, I think that's true as well. It's it's bringing a lot of people into a skill set though that they can they can transport over to other subjects when they get interested in. And I tell you, I think. Probably there's probably some overlap. If you did a big Venn diagram and you, you had a circle for these uh, gunpla and, and Warhammer types, and you kind of had the the video game influence and see what world World of Tanks is doing for modeling. I think Italeri's got a bunch that are tied to World of Tanks, and somebody they else do. does too. Is it uh, Border Models? Maybe I, I can't remember. But the uh, the the fact that some of these people are coming over via video game to more historical subjects is kind of interesting. Yep. Well, I to- well, I told you, we, I brought up on a previous podcast that a company out there is making a model of the ARL-44. It's a tank. It's a tank you've never heard of. It's a tank I never heard of. It's a tank nobody ever heard of because it was developed by the French in 1944-45 after they got their country back right at the end of World War II. 
and there were only like 50 of them made. The only reason that a model of that tank exists is because it's apparently a really popular tank in World of, uh, World of Tanks. Um, the other place where I think we're seeing crossover is the Gunpla Warhammer communities are, it's a similar thing that some of the railroading uh, guys experience where the weathering techniques that we use in modeling, particularly armor modelers, those videos are getting seen by, uh, you know, Warhammer guys and rail model railroad guys. And those guys are adopting the skill sets that come with modeling or more traditional modeling. And as those folks do that, they start to get drawn into what we might think of as our end of the hobby. Panzermeister36 on YouTube, uh, his last YouTube drop was actually weathering a piece of rolling stock, which, uh, you know, if the, the model railroaders see that and want to, to utilize those techniques, they'll come over and, you know, it draws them in. It, it expands the hobby as a whole. The, the listener's point is well taken, when we say the hobby, we're probably thinking way too narrowly about what is the hobby. I agree with that. And he's made some good points, very general and high level kind of things, but it, it ties back to what Stephen, some of the things Stephen was saying. And he goes on to say, I think the best thing we can do for the health of the hobby is to work to overcome these divisions. While there will always be room for groups who have more specific interests to gather, cars, figure painters, amps, whatever. Uh, more cross-pollination and increased diversity in the existing groups, both in terms of subject and age, race, gender, et cetera, would be a really good thing. That's a good point. Oh, and I agree. Take our club as an example. We have had an influx of modelers who are younger, uh, and some of those tend toward uh, sci-fi and gunpla and that stuff. And the the addition of them to our our local club has been fantastic. First of all, they're fantastic model builders. Uh, I'm thinking of Travis here, who, uh, you know, he has shown the entire club a whole different skill set with lighting models, with using electronics to actually light your your model. Now he does it in a, a sci-fi context, but. The skill set is applicable across to all mo- across all modeling. I, I was recently on the sci-fi judging team along with uh, Scott Gentry from Plastic Posse Podcast and Anthony Goodman from Scale Model Podcast. We were three of the five judges for the sci-fi and real space category for the recent RightCon, the uh, online version of the uh, Region Four Regional Convention. Mm-hmm. And the best sci-fi was was a a Gunpla model, and it was. We all loved it. It was the fact he had used kind of military kind of leaning colors on it and it used more what you'd see in the armor genre for, for the weathering of the thing. And it made for, even though it was a fantasy piece, essentially science fiction, it was really convincing Yeah, because of the way he, the builder had, uh, had weathered and painted it. No, I, I completely agree that the addition of those guys, the Warhammer guys, and the the small fantasy figure painting people, they do some stuff that is just flat out amazing. And there are some skills that they have in their uh, their part of the hobby that 
can translate over into uh, more conventional, you know, what we think of as the more conventional end of the hobby. I think some of the best figure painters out there are the are some of the fantasy figure painters. I agree. I think they're kind of they're unshackled by the bounds of historical accuracy. I agree. In fact, one of the things that helped kick me back, kick me in the seat of the pants, and get me going again was uh, I st- when I started listening to uh, Stuart and Anthony on Scale Model Podcast. They had, they had a guest, Kim Taylor. She's the spouse of the maybe she helps too. I, I can't remember the, the, they do, they run Thatch Weave, which makes those thirty fifth scale nautical bumpers and things yes. for the, the the netting and all that. Right. But she's a big fantasy figure painter. In fact, she's on staff at FSM now. And in the latest fine scale, she's got a a, a wyvern or a dragon or something that she's painted in there. That's, that's really good. And she said something in her interview with Stuart and Anthony that uh, really, really resonated with me. And it just made me double down on the fantasy figures. So if anybody's in a funk, I'd say go listen to that particular episode of Scale Model Podcast and see what uh, Kim can ex- inspire you to do. Because... I think you're right, Dave, that uh, some of the best figure painters and most creative are, are pro- probably in that genre. Moving on, Ethan Idenmill, another longtime listener. I guess we've been at, at this long enough to say <laughs> that. But uh, <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> an, off, an often contributor to our mailbag. Again, he's talking about uh, he attended the Southern California Gundam model competition and was just blown away by the number of models on the table and the quality of the builds. He's 40 in his 40s and considers himself one of the younger members of his local IPMS chapter. But he, you know, he sees the younger models leaning that way, like we've been saying, and the older model modelers sticking to the more historical builds. But uh, again, his his email is emphasizing the fact that uh, no, there's young people in the hobby. They're just not building the same stuff everybody else is. Yeah, that's true. Although, and again, talking about that cross pollination and using our own club as an example. Some of the younger members who've joined who maybe were not particularly, uh, you know, historical model centric when they came in, their exposure to their exposure to our older members has gotten them building some of the historical, you know, armor pieces or whatever. A great example of that is uh, our local uh, hobby shop owner, Brian, who because because of what he does and what his job is, he has exposure to the entire range of the hobby. And he recently ended up building a car and did a fantastic job with it. And was commenting to me when I was up at the hobby shop spending money, I mean, not spending any money, uh, that um, the skill set was so much different than what he learned and the the skills that that, uh, he utilized in finishing that car were so much different than, you know, his previous build, which was, uh, uh, I think, a Sherman tank. And IPMS Nationals Convention Chairman Bob Lomasaro wrote in for, for the mailbag, and he's been modeling for 55 years, and he says 44 of which have been serious with participation in IPMS clubs, etc., and he says during that entire time, people have been saying the hobby is dying. And he, he agrees with uh, what our other contributors have said, that it's it's not dying, it's evolving. It's actually, it's more than evolving. It's been growing for the last several years, but it's evolving. Yeah, it's growing by leaps and bounds right now. And he says the average age of modelers has, has been somewhat older. And, you know, they tend to focus on the traditional stuff, but uh, he's seen tremendous increase in the younger people attending their shows. Now, 
Yes. IPMS Las Vegas has the Best of the West show, which is a pretty, pretty big deal out there, I think, as a invitational type show. Pretty well attended show. And, you know, they're bringing the Gundam and the Warhammer stuff and, and the other sci-fi. And many have expanded into more contemporary modeling themes like uh, planes and or historical things, real, real world stuff. And he, he hopes that these people can replace the old guard. Yeah, we're all eventually going to pass away. I hate to hate to break it to anybody out there who thinks they're immortal. We're all going to go. And uh, yeah, I, I do hope that the up and coming generation, no matter what they're building, you know, keep the hobby vital. But he, the point he makes is really good. Honestly, I've been hearing that the hobby is dying ever since I was building out of law school. So I would have been 24, 20. 23 or 24 when I was modeling just coming out of law school. And honest to gosh, at the time, you always heard that the hobby was dying, that, you know, that it, it was uh, you know, fewer people were building and the local hobby shops were disappearing and therefore the hobby is dying. And it isn't. It's a, you're, He's absolutely right. It's evolving. Kind of the next topic that a few people hit on was uh, just kids in general in the hobby. And this is from Adam Leland. He says he was lucky enough as a kid that his dad built scale models, which brought him into the hobby. And now as an adult, uh, he's created an entire space within his house solely for modeling. And, and it's his, his hobby he truly enjoys. And he thinks the issue with the continuation of the hobby is dads or moms bringing their kids boys or girls into the fold and that will keep it alive for years to come that's just two his two cents we think of that i think that's correct i do think now the the i remember let me see the third or fourth time the hobby was dying was when video games were going to replace the hobby you know no young kids were building kits anymore because of the fact that they got to, they all played these video games and and yada 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 that was one of the many times we heard that the hobby was dying there's a little truth to that in the fact that the kids uh, kids these days god there's a phrase i now sound like i'm 100 years old kids these days do have more distractions and more uh more options for entertainment available to them but by the same token, as we pointed out earlier, some of these games, uh, particularly the ones World of Tanks, World of Warships, etc., are actually drawing the young back into the hobby. One thing that I do think is of concern is that when you have a local modeling club and new younger members come in, you know, we've all known each other for a long time and we can be less than welcoming, not necessarily because we're bad people, but just, you know, we're used to our own modeling group of our own modeling peers. And and I hope that we make sure that we are welcome, welcoming to these new modelers or new to us modelers who come in and many times bearing models that we've never seen before in an area that we don't understand. But modeling's modeling, and this modeling skills are the modeling skills, and we can take the time to appreciate what they're doing, even if it's not particularly our cup of tea. Listener Kevin Kelly says a very similar thing. We need to keep encouraging kids to model and maybe they will come back to it later when life stops getting in the way as they get older. A reoccurring thing, theme I see with those of us who have come back is nostalgia. Remembering the quality time spent with dad or a friend. Well, on the 
topic of kids, I don't know if you follow much on the IPMS USA Facebook page, but have you noticed that that mother who keeps posting on there for her son? No, I who's, who's I the modeler. No, I had not. It's been really interesting. I mean, she's asking a whole gamut of questions from the very basic to some kids getting some some ambition. And uh, it's all airbrush questions and photo etch questions. And I just thought it was interesting that she was taking such an interest in it. And I just thought it was really kind of cool. Well, that is, that is cool. That's when when your kid gets interested in doing anything, but particularly something that requires the patience and detail and interest level of modeling. Uh, you know, if you're a parent, you should. In yeah, I know I'm I'm prejudiced in this, but you should encourage that. Uh, that's it, modeling is nothing but good for your kid. Well, my dad, my own father, was good at, about embracing and nurturing the things I had interest in, whether he was or not. Um, I'm sure. Because he hinted at it, not he hinted at it, not so much, not real overtly, but he, he probed around the fact, you know, maybe I would want to become a dentist because he was a dentist. But when it when it's clear that wasn't going to be where I was going, um, it was no big deal. And, and in fact, he took me up to Aberdeen, Maryland, to the the organization prior to AMPS, the AMM, yeah, the Association of Military Modelers, had a show up there in Aberdeen. Gosh, I guess I was uh, I was in college, but uh, it was father son trip. We went up there, and you know he hung out and read books and let me go to the model show. Pretty fun. Yeah, I always appreciated that. Well, you know the funny thing is, my father was not at all into modeling, but two of my strongest memories are our family used to take a lot of vacations, driving vacation. If you've ever seen National Lampoon's Vacation, we did that exact same two-week trip out to out to Wally World, out to California. And two of my strongest memories uh, as, as a young teenager are my father, when we were out in Los Angeles, getting in the car with me and leaving the family doing some touristy thing and taking me to a local hobby shop out in California, one of the ones that advertised in in scale model or you know scale modeler or something that is like uh, is Brookhurst or I can't remember it might have been the squadron shop out in somewhere in LA. And of course, we're in Los Angeles and I'm thinking, can you please take me to this because we're here and therefore that means it's close. Not of course realizing <laughs> that Los Angeles is as big as it is. And then same thing, we were on a family trip up to Chicago, Illinois. And my father made it a point because I wanted to go to the squadron shop in in Chicago made it a point taking me to that shop, even though that's not why we were there. And I'm sure it was inconvenient and out of, way, out of the way. So even though he wasn't a modeler, in his own way, he very much encouraged uh, my interest in history and modeling and, uh, you know, history-related books and all of that. And I'm eternally grateful for it. Well, you say that and immediately immediately coming to my, my own mind are some things I have in my my reference library and the kit stash that still have price tags on them from from things that were bought from those very same types of situations. There was a shop in uh, Columbia, South Carolina called Dutch Door Hobby that we would cut through, cut over to on our way to the beach vacations. I've got a couple of books that still have those Dutch Door price tags in them. And then uh, we did the big out west vacation for 
two or three weeks as well. Didn't go to California, but went just about everywhere else. I hate to admit it, but I've still got a kit in my stash that's got a price tag from that hobby shop. <laughs> <laughs> I was 16. Yeah. Well, we, hey, we both, listen, this will both make us realize uh, how lucky we were that our families encouraged us to, in those hobbies and how, how lucky we were that they had the ability to do that. Yeah, true. And I, and I think back to the, tying it back to the death of the hobby, I think that the point of these these two contributions from our listeners are that uh, that's certainly a way forward to keep that from happening is to pay it forward. I'm also reminded that the guys at uh, Plastic Posse Podcast challenged us all to uh, kind of pay it forward to somebody who was bored or in need of something to do that maybe they don't realize they're a modeler yet. And maybe we need to send a few of those stash kits off to somebody who might appreciate them. I think I, I think I got somebody in mind I'm going to send a stack to. One of my wife's college sorority sisters has, has two sons who are teenagers that are both kind of history buffs. And uh, I think I might send them a little stack of kits. That might be a good idea. That is, that is an excellent idea. Pay it forward. Well, the final kind of bullet item on this Death of the Hobby segment was a couple of responses we got back in regards to your comments about 3D printing, Dave. Okay. Timothy Young, who's in West Yorkshire, UK, says that uh, 3D printing, he personally thinks it will only benefit the hobby. It will allow people to easily make their own uh, add-ons and conversion parts. He could, even, he could even see people selling downloadable files to print at home. Uh, it's easier than trying to source uh, short-run resin pieces on eBay. <laughs> uh, he doubts it will have it will have much detrimental effect on the sale of kits. Uh and he thinks most modelers do it for the love of the build and not so much the the ease of it. So he doesn't think that a, a, a fully 3D printed finished model uh, is much of a threat. From his from his lips to God's ear, I, I hope he is correct. And I mean, I know that's certainly why I build is the love of the build as much as the finished product. But I, I do think that, that 3D printing certainly is going to... Uh, be a great addition to the hobby as far as things like, you know, 3D printed, say just a 3D printed 72nd scale battleship, U.S. battleship turret, if you wanted one of those to go along with a float plane you were building. Uh, that could be a, a great advantage. And I can see where every home's going to have a 3D printer. And yes, you can get downloadable files for add-ons and conversions and stuff like that. I, I I do, however, still hold some reservation, and uh, since I initially mentioned this, I saw an example of what I was talking about. One of the members of our club, uh, Noel Walker, posted on our Facebook uh, club Facebook page a one-tenth scale bust of a, a Napoleonic British officer. This thing was beautifully printed beautifully painted and the whole thing was done by 3d printing in other words it wasn't a printed master that then somebody hand painted this thing was uh, printed with the colors with everything and it looked exactly like what a a very talented bust figure painter would turn out now, uh, Ed Tackett in our club, who's also um, whose job is running a 3D printing lab, uh, said that that particular bust was printed on a very high-end printer, and uh, you know probably was four hundred thousand dollars 
to for that printer to do that type of work, which I completely believe. But I also completely believe that there is going to be generational uh, improvements in 3D printing. And I, I will be interested to see if it does not only add to the hobby, but does present a challenge to the hobby. Well, our final contribution was from uh, Jeffrey Betcher, and it's also along the lines of 3D printing. He says that he was interested in Dave's comments on 3D printing and its potential effect on the hobby in the future. If I may offer my speculation, I think we'll enhance the hobby as any other tool. I don't think, though, that it will change the hobby at its base level. 3D printing will offer another avenue uh, to design and make kits and detail parts, but the one, but one of the attractions to the hobby from a build perspective is, is that it is a tactile exercise that brings a sense of craftsmanship and it will always have a following. And he references a museum he went to in Glasgow, Scotland. Uh, that was a wooden ship model museum. And the ships in this museum were largely built by 19th century prisoners with very basic tools. Interesting. Well, you know, I, you've several times in your other hobby of militaria, you've several times uh, shown me pieces of what they call trench art, where soldiers use what's available to make some sort of artistic uh, piece or, or outlet for, you know, filling the time. I agree with him. I, this, the hobby for me, I'll, I'll, I think I enjoy the building as much as I do the finishing, maybe even a little more so, which is probably part of my problem in, fin in doing finishes and finishing, but I hope to get better. I hope these guys are right. I, 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 I am sure that it will be a boon to the hobby and give us a lot of additional things for the hobby. I'm, I'm going to remain open-minded as to whether it will also represent a challenge to the hobby. I hope it doesn't. I guess we'll see when we get there three or four printing generations from now. Well, I think we're beating a dead hobby horse now. The hobby's not dead, but we've beaten the horse to death. The hobby is alive and kicking. Yes, it is. And as pointed out by several of our listeners, it's evolving all the time. And so far, it's evolving in really great directions as far as I'm concerned. Which is a great song by The Simple Minds, Alive and Kicking, by the way. Nice reference. So, uh, Mike, do you have a shout out for the month? I have several shout outs. Let's go back and forth because I've got two bullet points on my shout out list. All right. I'll go I'll go first. My first shout out is to Mr. Tim Cavalier, who is a listener and often commenter and contributor to Listener Mail and on the uh, Facebook Messenger. T uh, Tim sent me a flat topper for my Vortex paint mixer that I have on my workbench. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, as a friendly courtesy. Tim, thank you. I've already put a lot of miles on it. That thing just increased the versatility of my Vortex mixer tenfold. I can now mix any bottle. I can mix Humbrol tins. I can mix Vallejo droppers. I can mix old school Model Master enamel bottles, this funky shape, MIG wash bottles, anything. Anything that will fit on that platen will now be mixed by my Vortex mixer. And I really appreciate it. That was very generous. And, and uh, thanks a lot. I love it. We've got great listeners, man. Well, my shout out for the month or for the episode is uh, something I actually mentioned earlier in the episode, Andy's Hobby Headquarters has a YouTube channel, and uh, they did they got access to a uh, early 
pre-production copy of the U9. And not only did they do a really nice YouTube review on it, they did a subsequent build of the test shot of the kit. This channel, going back and looking at it, it is a really good channel for previews and for builds. And and I'd like to give them a shout out and hope that uh, folks out there will go and take a look at the YouTube channel for Andy's Hobby Headquarters. Well, if you remember, Chris Wallace said something about that when, mm-hmm. when he had a he, when we had him on the show. He said uh, Andy does a good job demystifying things for for yep. folks who are just kind of getting into the hobby. Yeah. So now, how many of those U boats are you going to buy? Uh, probably one to start with, but don't encourage me. You know. Well, you know. Spe- speaking of which, uh, we, we one of these days we'll have to talk about stashes because there's that tendency of every modeler I know to buy two of any kit. One to build and one to have in reserve in case he messes up the build. So <laughs> I want to try and fight that tendency. I think I'm only going to get one U9 to start with. Well, it looks fantastic. It does. Fantabulous. Fantabulous. My other shout out is to our PayPal contributors. We've had a few more. And I'd like to thank Drew Oliver, Robert Abercrombie and Eric Simmelmayer. They have all made contributions to uh, our podcast and helping us along with the expense of running this operation. And I really, really appreciate it. When folks vote with their wallet, I mean, what, what else is there to say? Yeah, that is a, the highest compliment you can pay us. It's uh, very kind. Uh, like we've said a number of times, we got into this to to keep our mo- modeling mojo alive. But, uh, you know, it's not completely cost-free. It's not super expensive, but it's not completely cost free. And the fact that the, these people have reached out and done that has really, it's, it's a high compliment to us and kind of, kind of makes the time and effort that we put into this. It helps you know that people appreciate it. Thank you. So anyone wishing to contribute to this effort of ours can do so by going to www.plasticmodelmojo.com. And if you look in the upper right corner on the homepage, there's a little heart, and that heart takes you right to the PayPal link that allow allow you to contribute to the show. So thanks to these guys, most appreciated, and we appreciate any more that might come in. If you feel like doing that, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, Mike, uh, I think we've come to the end of another episode. Uh, I enjoyed this one. I did too. A lot to talk about, and our listeners have come through again and given given us a lot to talk about and had some uh, well-thought positions and points to... uh, provide to our to the other listeners so as they always say dave so many kits so little time see you next time all right we'll we'll see you next time